Hi everyone, welcome back to the Mentorship Podcast. I'm your host, Julia Pia. Every week, we feature a different professional who discusses their career path and industry. We mentor you by breaking down each step of our guest's academic journey and career. We talk about what they did in high school to get to university, what they did in university to get to their following jobs, and the career opportunities that their field has to offer. In today's episode, we are joined by Maggie Ma, a geospatial data scientist. Maggie attended the University of Toronto as an international student and received a bachelor's degree with a double major in statistics and human geography, as well as a minor in geographic information systems. During her undergraduate degree, Maggie worked in several internships and research positions, including working at St. Michael's Hospital, Toronto Police Service, and the City of Toronto. In these positions, Maggie learned that there is a market for merging her skills in statistics and human geography through data science. Now, Maggie works as a data scientist on the AI research team for a startup called Quinkus, and she is pursuing a certification in artificial intelligence from Stanford University. In today's conversation, Maggie tells us about the field of data science and how she merged her interests in statistics and human geography. Maggie is also active on social media as Maggie and Data on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. So we also get into her experience as a content creator and her passion towards mentoring her audience about pursuing a career in data science. She also shares some of her tips with us today. So now, here to mentor us, it is Maggie Ma. Welcome, Maggie, to the podcast. How are you feeling? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me on. Of course. Thank you for coming. I came across your social media a few months ago and I thought that you would be such a perfect guest for the podcast because your social media, Maggie and Data, is basically dedicated to mentorship towards the field of data science and you do such a great job informing your audience on how to break into the data science field. You're such a great representative of the field. So I'm really excited for you to be here and to share all that knowledge with us as well. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here as well. Well, before we get right into it, let's start right from the beginning. My first question for you is, what did you want to be when you grew up and what kinds of things interested you when you were younger? Yeah, um, that's such a good question because uh, it was definitely not data science. Uh, I mean, I don't think data science was even a thing back then. It was probably statisticians. Um, so when I was very young, I was very into writing. I wrote a lot of a diary style um, and school papers. I was always really interested in that. So I wanted to be a writer. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to be a playwright about uh, 14. And that's when I went to the U.S. Um, so I went to the U.S. for high school. Um, I went because I wanted to be a playwright and I felt like um, China, which is where I was born, um, the education system there wasn't very good for creativity and it was very much like recital um, memory memorization mm -hmm. um, things like that so that's when I was like oh hey I'm gonna be a playwright so I want to go to the US to fully explore sort of this side um, of like creativity that's um, what I wanted to be at 14 at 15 I first year in high school I I uh, was volunteering at the theater. I uh, was doing uh, school theater as well. And that's when I figured, oh, maybe not so much anymore. Mm, <laughs> um, why? There was a set of rule that you have to follow, I guess, in any industry. And I didn't feel like, or the, the environment that I was exposed to, I didn't feel like I could fully um, explore what I wanted to write versus mm. sort of following um, set of script. Right. And also that's when... Um, I started to become really good at math like I started to really stand out um, and that's when kind of the transition happened from okay. the arts to science. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you kind of found that out about yourself at the age of like 15, 16 like you were saying because usually when someone has a favorite subject it's something that comes in early on and kind of sticks through 
And math is something, especially for girls, where we're taught that it's so hard, we ingrain it in our minds that it's so difficult for us, and sometimes we kind of just like stick with that narrative. When you were in elementary school or younger, was math kind of seen stigmatized in that way where it was like so difficult for you maybe you didn't give it a chance and then like how did you end up discovering your love for math yeah uh, i also think it's a kind of a cultural difference too so like in china education is just such a important topic and Mm -hmm. that's definitely top of mind for all the parents Mm -hmm. um generalization there but so everybody else is also sort of really (laughs) good at math and i kind of didn't stand out in that way and when I went to school in California, I think maybe it's the way that the teacher was teaching it that made me more interested because it's more open concept versus this is the set of curriculum you have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's when I really started to pick up and um, started to take an interest in it. Yeah, that's really interesting too, just like having different environments because I'm kind of comparing it with the school system here and how we have those stigmas, especially as young women but more so here in Canada is what I was thinking. So it's interesting in how like that very disciplined culture for you was kind of able to hinder you in a way, but then when you had this more like open-minded view on it in California, like you said, then you were able to gravitate to it. So yeah, it kind of always goes back to, you know, your environment, the people around you too. What was it like going to school in high school in the states because that's a big transition where you're making this big transition at such a pivotal and when you're such a young teenager still what was that transition like for you for sure it was definitely very difficult especially because i didn't speak a lot of english Mm -hmm. i've been taking english classes since i was three but when i got to the u.s that's when i realized i really don't know anything so for the first year i didn't understand anything I didn't do homework sometimes because I didn't know we had them. Mm. So my writing, my writing and reading were very good. Um, that was the result of the education system in China. But yeah. my listening and speaking was just not there. Um, I think what helped me was to stay with a local family. So I came by myself and I wow. stayed with a German family who were staying in um, California Mm -hmm. and so with that home environment as well speaking English I was able to catch up very quickly and I've always just been sort of uh, independent really driven person Um, and so I threw myself in a lot of situations while I played sports first year I made myself go volunteering and get out there and really sort of experience the culture and trying to fit in. Wow. Were you scared at all? Or was it something that maybe you had other friends doing so you kind of already knew about this process? Or was it, you know, really just a leap of faith? (laughs) Um, More a leap of faith. Yeah. I didn't know anybody else was doing it. I Maybe I was even, uh, I would call myself naive. Mm. Um, But because I was a student and I was young, people were very understanding Mm -hmm. and they were very helpful and they... Um, are just very nice in general yeah amazing okay so then you kind of already mentioned your journey of getting into university and how you were figuring out your path there but I'm interested especially because you were an international student coming either from China or from the states I guess depending on how the Canadian system looked at it what was that process like in terms of your options like was U of T your number one choice because you had heard good things or did you have other options for yourself as well? I applied to quite a few colleges. I think the difference between US and Canada is like people in the US, they I think they tend to apply a lot more. Um, and I did the whole tour as well, of like the Northeastern New England universities. Mm-hmm. So I applied, I would say more than 10 universities and uh, University of Toronto was the only one applied in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, to be completely honest, it's because they didn't require any essay or anything like that. It was a very simple application mm. process versus for the UC system, for example, you have to write three to five essays. Yeah. Um, and my, uh, it was more of influence of my father, I would say. Um, but looking back, it was definitely a good choice because of the politics that was going on. And it wasn't a very friendly environment for international students uh, in the U.S. Okay. And so, yeah, my choice came down to University of Washington versus University of Toronto. Okay. Very similar, both big cities, Seattle, Toronto, and similar campus as well, similar programs. Um, but I really wanted to work 
while I'm studying mm-hmm. and coming to Canada would allow me to do that. And oh. that's sort of what factored into my decision. Okay, so now let's get into your undergraduate experience at U of T. We've had some U of T alums before and we've kind of talked about how U of T structures their programs because it's very interesting. You can either have like specialized majors or if you don't do a specialized major, then they either require a double major or a major in two minors. I also understand that in the first year at U of T, you take a bunch of different courses that are kind of in align with your interests, and then you declare your major or major minors at the end of your first year. Was that the process that you had to go through? Yes. Okay. How was that process in terms of what courses were you trying out in your first year? How did you end up deciding on statistics and human geography as your two majors? So statistics was sort of set in stone for me. Um, even though my grades were in math weren't exactly the best in first year, I just thought I felt like I should... Um, take advantage of sort of being good at math in high school. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel as much in university, Um, but so statistics was pretty much set in stone for me. And one of the career options I was looking at was um, actuary. Okay. And that was the path that I was thinking about potentially going down on. Um, And the other one, I was actually thinking about uh, doing psychology because I've always been interested in the way people think and how people interact with each other. But I did take this one course in the geography department in my first year that's called Urban and City Life that introduced the way that cities are planned and people are interacting, goods are being transported. And that really drew me in versus the first year psychology class I took, which was more memorization. I feel like if I um, took more classes, maybe it would be more of like, um, actually doing research maybe in the upper year but first year um, it didn't sound that interesting to me mm-hmm. um, and so especially after taking this geography course I was looking at their curriculum I didn't know human geography was a uh, major choice at all mm-hmm. but I found that on the website and I looked at all the classes and I was really excited I wanted to take more than what's required and that's when I knew that was going to be the second major for me okay and it's so interesting because At first thought you wouldn't really think that statistics and human geography can go together. Like maybe at first thought it's just kind of a way for you to fulfill two interests of yours. But I feel like your career has done a really good job at merging those two topics. And I can't wait to really get into it and really explain how your career does that. But at the time, did you know that there was industries where statistics and human geography married each other so well or did it did that realization just kind of end up happening naturally i didn't know at the time it was another leap of faith and a lot of people actually asked me that question in my first and second year and i didn't have an answer to it Mm -hmm. Um, but it was through a series of experiences that we'll talk about um, that eventually led me here okay did you end up partaking in different like part-time jobs or internships that allowed you to kind of see those two topics and fields coming together is that what ended up happening yeah definitely so i took um i would say i had five to seven internships slash research experience in university none of them were called data scientists but it was one after another that let me closer and closer to where i am now can we talk a little bit about those internships in terms of how you found them was it like through professors or just you know searching online and applying and then what the internships actually were and what you were learning from them yeah uh okay let's go chronological order then okay. <laughs> uh, my very first paid experience was a on-campus position as a work-study student and that was when i was in my um second year so i wanted to work first year summer already to find an internship but it was really hard and i completely understand looking back that nobody would want to hire mm-hmm. me at the time because i was still sort of a floating around didn't know what i really wanted mm-hmm. Um, so this position at, was at Innovation Hub at U of T, and it was called uh, Transcription and Data Analysis Assistant. I thought it was going to be something quantitative, but it turned out to be quite qualitative. Um, so that was my first very experience with data. In this case, it was textual data. So we were interviewing students on campus uh, about how we can better their experiences, and our clients were the VP Provost at U of T. 
and us as a team we were transcribing these interviews and trying to generate insights from all the conversations that we had and we ended up presenting a sort of a solution um, to our clients at the end of my second year so that was my first paid experience okay it yeah. sounds kind of tedious having to <laughs> it transcribe was, all of it. Yeah, it was very tedious. And it was before all of these AI yeah, things came out. Because I actually, we transcribed the podcast, but I just use a software. Yeah, that's smart. That's yeah. smart. So when I heard about this, I was like, oh my gosh, these softwares must be like new technology then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was very tedious. But a lot of um, the data science now is like, it's still tedious. Like the very first part, data collection, mm. data cleaning mm-hmm. is very tedious. It's a big part. And that I feel like um, when people enter in this field, um, they usually would start with that data collection, tedious data work. And mm-hmm. that's actually my next job, uh, which was more related to data. I was working as a geospatial researcher at... Um, Center for Global Health Research at St. Michael's Hospital. Okay. I was working with a lot of postdoc students in statistics. And the way I got that job was I think I saw a posting um, somewhere in the statistics department, but I wasn't qualified because I wasn't a permanent resident. I think that was for a grant. Oh, okay. But I was really interested anyways because it had a geography component to it, yeah. spatial statistics. So I emailed the professor, I code emailed him and it turned out to be a good fit because they were just looking for someone to do the tedious data work, data entry. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up working there f- up until I graduated. Okay. So from summer of second year, full-time internship um, until part-time during the school year and then full-time again in the summer and part-time during the school year. Okay. Were these internships paid? As yeah, well? okay. they were paid um, minimum wage. Yeah, 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 usually how it is. Yeah, so I f- did a few other, I, I would say internship slash research experience. It was more with the professor um, through different means, different courses, like one-on-one. So I worked as a crime analyst intern at Toronto Police Service. Okay. That was, I, I wasn't paid for that position. I took it as a course credit. So okay. I was working with a faculty member one-on-one for the academic side and I was working with the people um, at TPS during uh, I think it was two times a week. I didn't realize that in this case U of T professors have connections to the Toronto police. Is they that didn't. how it was? No, oh, okay. I reached out myself. Oh, okay. So all of my, I would say all of my experiences were because I reached out. Um, I saw it somewhere and I just thought it was really interesting. Wow, so okay. in that case I reached out to the head of the department at innovation and analytics yeah. um, at TPS. And oh, wow. um, I was able to find that there is a course for it that I can t- take it as credit. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And then what were you working on there as a crime mm-hmm. analyst? What were you, yeah. like your projects? So my project was about transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you heard of Vision Zero by the city of Toronto where they want to reduce pedestrian fatalities to zero. Okay. Um, so they're deploying different resources um, and doing analysis. So I was, I was on that project because I did one similar at the hospital okay. previously. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the, it didn't quite pan out because it was during the pandemic. And uh, I started in January 2020 oh. and it was supposed to go until April. Yeah. And when everybody stayed home, they just sort of cut off contacts completely because... Um, there's a lot of security concerns and they wouldn't let me take a laptop home right and then did you also work with the city of Toronto too yeah I did that was also through a school placement so that was uh, the geography department actually had connection with the city of Toronto Mm -hmm. Um, and I was working with them again on a transportation project um, that has statistical and geospatial component to it okay so I think it's so interesting because At first, when you think of combining statistics and human geography, it seems so niche. But then all the different placements that you did, they're all kind of in different environments. You know, the hospital versus the Toronto police versus city of Toronto. So it's so interesting because at first you think it's so niche, but you can actually diversify the kind of environments that you're working in, the projects that you're working on. So I thought that was really cool to hear. And I was interested in hearing if there was... A certain type of environment that kind of drew you in more so than maybe another one like maybe the hospital environment where I'm assuming your work was on the basis of healthcare versus um, at TPS where it's on the basis of transportation was there one 
environment that you liked applying your statistics and geography more so than another? Yeah, I would say the most memorable and the most probably important one to my career is the one at the hospital because that was where I actually had um, professor in statistics to guide me through the process. So I really learned a lot working alongside of PhD students and um, I learned a lot about like Bayesian statistics, um, which I think is still very useful for work right now. And that's where I, you wouldn't call it machine learning in the statistical environment, Mm -hmm. but really it's machine learning. And that's my very first job in machine what were you working on when you were at the hospital there yeah i worked on a few fatality projects but when covid happened we were all hands-on on covid covid prediction okay yeah i'm also interested in this educational aspect of how you can then go into data science because we talked about how it was kind of like a coincidence that you merged statistics and human geography and they ended up being so relevant For people who maybe are not on that educational path or they're interested in other educational paths, what other degrees do you find that are common that can still lead you to data science? Yeah, the most common one would definitely be computer science. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, then statistics, another one, math, sometimes even economics, Mm -hmm. um, because they still do a lot of quantitative analysis. Mm -hmm. And also, I think... When I was in school, Masters of Data Science wasn't a thing yet. Mm -hmm. The school system hasn't caught up. And so a lot of people coming in were actually from uh, physical sciences or life science background because a lot of the things that you do in the lab, especially for physics students, are pretty much like already machine learning. Um, So yeah, a lot of physical sciences. Okay. And were you learning like how to code and use certain softwares in your program in statistics or was this something that you had to learn on your own outside as well or you know maybe both yeah i learned r in school but i haven't had a chance to use it yet okay so r was very much a statistics academic academia environment language it wasn't that different so i picked up python on the job after i graduated I did take two courses uh, in the computer science department as part of the statistical degree, but I I wouldn't say I remember a lot of what happened there. Okay, so a lot of it then was like kind of self-taught in terms of like the softwares and programs that you have to use. Yeah, for sure. What kind of advice do you have for people who are in those positions who have to teach themselves how to use something? Is there is it just YouTubing? Is there certain like books or programs that you recommend? Yeah, I think the most important thing is don't fall into the tutorial trap. So don't, um, I know there are a lot of YouTube tutorials out there. I do YouTube tutorials sometimes on coding too, but it's really what's important is for you to actually create something yourself. Um, so I would say if you're new to coding, you should probably first take a general course on object-oriented language programming. Um, they're everywhere on Coursera, Udemy, and a lot of schools actually offer them for free as well. After that, getting your hands on experience with Python or a co- uh, language of your choice is very important. Okay, and so as you were going through your undergrad and you're learning things in your courses and you are doing these different internships and placements, what was your thought process for when you graduated and what was your plan for post-graduation? I knew I wanted to be a data scientist, but it was really hard graduating in the midst of pandemic. So I did have a hard, really hard time getting my foot in the door. And I applied to, I would say, more than 100 jobs after graduation. I didn't have anything lined up. And I, it took me a few months to get to where I am now. So I took a few other uh, internship opportunities other experiences in the meantime while I was Mm -hmm. looking Mm -hmm. I worked with a professor for two months and we published a paper together and I worked at another startup for a data engineer internship positions that was going to turn into a full-time position but I ended up finding my job and my foot in the door as a data scientist and I took that opportunity okay so at the startup you were working as a data engineer but you were more interested in 
working as a data scientist. Yeah, exactly. Can you explain the difference? And also, I was wondering, what's a data analyst as well? Because I hear all these terms yeah. and they sound the same to me <laughs> because I'm not in the field. So can you kind of help differentiate what these different roles are? Yeah, so they kind of sit in the different stages of the data pipeline. Okay. Data engineers are more responsible for setting up the data, setting up a database. Mm-hmm. Uh, storing the data, setting up the monitoring process so that data scientists can then take this data to build models on. So in short, data engineers prepare the data for data analysts and data scientists to analyze on. And then the difference between data analysts and data scientists is that data analysts are more, I would say, on the business side. So they're doing a lot of exploratory data analysis where they try to find insights in data and do business reports, whereas data scientists are more heavily focused on models, um, sometimes a lot of time machine learning models and predictive models that would predict something that's in the future. Yeah. Is it kind of like transferable or is it usually people are trained on one specific aspect and it's not as like transferable? I would say yes or and no because they could be coming from the same program, but specialize in different things mm-hmm. after graduation. But a lot of time, data analyst is actually a common first step before someone becomes data scientist. Data scientists have the modeling skills that a lot of data analysts don't have. And so if they catch up on those skills, then a natural progression for their career as data scientist. Mm-hmm. And I would say they're all kind of interconnected in a way because you, you do still have, for example, in a startup environment where you wear multiple hats, maybe you're not very good at um, dealing with databases, but you still know how to use SQL as data scientists, you know how to query them and how to store them in a very basic way, but maybe not the most secure and most, most efficient way. As you became a data scientist and learned these skills, Were those skills acquired more so in the jobs that you were doing in the internships since people can kind of come from the same educational background? Is it the jobs that kind of make you more specialized because you're learning the skills through there and then eventually once you get to a certain point, you can feel comfortable enough to call yourself a data scientist? Yeah, I definitely learned a lot of skills on the job Mm because I didn't learn about cloud computing, for example, when I was in school, but I do think that you learn that if you're a computer science major. Right. And another very important aspect is that being either data scientist, data engineer, or data analyst, it's very important that you keep learning. So you could have the skill for cloud computing, but there are so many providers out there, Amazon, AWS, or Google, uh, GCP, they all have slightly different products that do the mm. same thing. Mm-hmm. So you definitely can say you'll, if you know one of them, you can say you're proficient at cloud computing, but it's just the matter of up constantly upskilling and being able to learn really quickly and be scrappy and just picking things up as you go. And so at this time when you had graduated and you're now looking in the job market, I was also wondering how it was as an experience as an international student. How was that for you? So for me, I did four years at U of T and that qualified me to get a postgraduate work permit for three years. That allowed me to work for any employer in Canada. That was also what was so attractive about going to school in Canada. Mm. Uh, I didn't have to be employed at all for this three years, but I have the option to work for whoever I want. And after working for one full year, you then can apply for permanent residency based on your, it's based on a comprehensive scoring system. Mm -hmm. So your school is one thing, your work experience is another. Um, They ask if you have any siblings, family in Canada, and language score is also another big thing. You have to take a language test. Mm But I would say the, the process is not is not easy, but it's also fairly straightforward and it gave a lot of security because if you did go through the four year school system here, you already have a lot of score. You already have a really high score and right. being young, yeah. um, I think being in the 25 to 34 age group also gave you a lot of score as well. I kind of want to talk a little bit about how you found it challenging to break into the data science industry as you were looking for jobs during this time in your life. What was it specifically that was challenging? Is it that there's a limited number of jobs out there? Is it that it's not really um, advertised as well? Like maybe, you know, there's some jobs where you just find out through word of mouth. What was the difficult part 
that you found? I think the difficult part is that data scientist is not really an entry level friendly job. If you look at a lot of job descriptions, they would want even for entry level a PhD degree or three to five plus years of experience. Yeah. So it's not really friendly for someone who just graduated um, university, especially not being a comp sign major. Um, so I think that was what was really hard for me. So then how did you strengthen your resume? I know you talked about you took the data engineer position at the startup. Was that kind of what gave you that level up or how did you become eligible to apply to these positions? A lot of my internships from undergrad for sure helped a lot mm-hmm. to have a lot of different things to say on my resume. But I think when I was talking with my hair manager, Um, At my current position, what really made me stand out was the data science portfolio that I built on my own. After graduation, while I was working in different um, internship, the data engineering internship, I had some time on the side to then build, um, I used R and a few other programming languages to build a website for myself. And I had a lot of my school projects turned into data science portfolio projects, essentially just add a storyline to it, like what were you doing? What's the purpose? Uh, what method did you use? And a lot of my statistics assignments really came in handy um, with the predictive modeling and machine learning aspects. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was that uh, portfolio that helped me get my first job. Yeah, that's really insightful, the idea of portfolio building, because we've actually talked about that before on the podcast with Alessandro, whose background was in computer science, but he went into the gameplay programming industry. And he talked a lot about building your portfolio. So it's interesting to hear about how that's also important in your field as well, creating a website for yourself and having a place where people can see your skills and see what's unique to you as well. So let's get into where you're working at right now. It's called Quinkus AI. Can you talk a little bit about what the mission of the company is and what your role is there now as a data scientist? So the company is a B2B SaaS provider. Our clients are big logistics companies like UPS and FedEx. I work on the research and development team as a data scientist. We have data scientists, research scientists, and product managers on the team. So the company provides a end-to-end solution for these companies and essentially they would give us package information. For example, if you want to ship a package, we would tell them from where the pickup location is to where the drop-off location is using artificial intelligence, what route they should take, what segment they should take. So we're doing multimodal. That means we're covering both ground and air transportation. Okay. So based on our artificial intelligence algorithm, we would say they should take a certain route for the first segment and then they should get on a different flight. Um, It's for optimization. I think that gives a good understanding how statistics plays a role in things and the whole idea of predicting things with models. Because I feel like at first when people hear about making models, it's kind of like, But what models, like what does it mean, especially for someone outside of the field? Um, So I was kind of hoping you could put that a little bit more into perspective as well in terms of like, what models are you making? How does this help a company, especially if it's something for like future predictions, things that are not like currently happening, if that's the case? Yeah. So I would say our model comes in when the volume gets really big. So if you can route one package very easily. But when it becomes thousands or even tens of thousands of packages at once that you're trying to meet different promise delivery date, different constraints, that's when it gets complicated and that's where a machine can come in and help. So for us, there are a lot of constraints. Let's just talk about the ground segment. So the FedEx truck you see on the route, there are some certain packages needs to be refrigerated and to be placed in a different truck and there are weight volume and size constraints and there are different delivery time windows that you have to take into consideration Mm -hmm. different priority levels so when all of those things come into play that's that's where machine learning and artificial intelligence can really help you in this case in this role are the clients people like ups and fedex because they're able to take this information and essentially improve their system yeah exactly so to always make their shipment services faster and to make it less costly as well yeah it makes sense it's so interesting because i feel like this is just not 
something that people talk about a lot as a career, especially in the early stages. It's something that I feel like you come into contact more so in the later stages of your career like you did. Do you still feel like you're using a lot of math in the sense? Because I remember how you talked about, you know, you got into statistics because of your love for math. So is that still very much integrated in your day to day? I would say yes, a lot of math are still used, especially um, the standard statistics like mean, median, Mm -hmm. um, how you find outliers and clusters, things like that. Yeah. But more of the linear algebra and calculus I don't use right now in my day to day, but Mm -hmm. we do have research scientists. Um, So those people actually do, you do need a master's or PhD to break into those roles and they use those very advanced math every day because that's what's behind these machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms. Okay. And so the company that you're working for as well, it's an international company. And I thought that that was really interesting. It's also a startup. So I wanted to ask about what it was like working for an international startup. It's a really good experience because you get to work with different people from environments that's so different than your own. So my company is headquartered in Singapore and we have a lot of the product and marketing team in Singapore. We have the engineering team in India, we have program management team in Vietnam, and we have salespeople in the UK and research team in Toronto. Um, So you really get to interact with a lot of people in different stages of life with Mm -hmm. different cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what makes it really interesting. But also, of course, working internationally with people from different time zones would require you to be available sometimes at night. But that also means we are relatively flexible during the day and Mm -hmm. how you manage your time. I was also wondering, kind of going back to how it can be difficult to break into the data science industry. I know that there is, you know, some big tech names that people might start to apply for first or kind of think that that's their main option. But since you're working in a startup, do you find that you have a better chance of entering the data science industry if you go through a startup instead of like you know a more established big tech name based on my experience yes unless you graduated from a target school mm-hmm. um which some like stanford or right berkeley um but yeah in general i would say it's easier to break into startup because they higher mindset over skills Mm -hmm. per se because you have in a startup you have to wear multiple hats and you're picking up so many different skills which is a really good thing for someone who's in the beginning of their career Mm -hmm. Um, and then once you have those skills you can actually explore it a little bit even and decide which area you want to specialize in yeah and then that will definitely give you the experience that you need to be able to get a job faster at a big tech company. Yeah, do you feel like you are experiencing that right now in your role? Because it sounds like the company that you're a part of is is pretty established in the sense that there's so many different international hubs for it. Do you still feel like you're in that startup environment where you're taking on different roles, learning new skills, and kind of learning from the ground up along with your colleagues? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of my favorite part about work, working here mm-hmm. is the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to take up things if you want. They really foster an environment where you are the driving force, you are the one taking initiative, no matter how young you are. Like our co-founders are both around their 30s. Okay. So it's a, it's a very sort of young environment that encourages uh, an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I feel like we've had people from startups before on the podcast and it's just so interesting how much you can learn and take on so early in your career like you know even how you said being a founder or CEO at such a young age it's something that is so unique to startups but then it really allows you to grow from there and then you know you could be eligible for those positions in more established companies like you mentioned too if you wanted to kind of pivot at some point. Yeah, especially if your goal is to also one day have your own company, mm-hmm. being in those environment is really helpful. We have weekly meetings, our team with the CEO, we have a very personable relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I'm being mentored right now by the other co-founder who is a female. So I'm learning a lot about female leadership, female in logistics, which is a 
very sort of traditional sector mm-hmm. um, and that's very empowering that's something you might have a hard time uh, getting in a bigger corporation yeah for sure how did you come across this company how can someone find a startup is it just google searching how did you do it for this one that you're at right now yeah so this one i was actually found by a headhunter a recruiter that they used on linkedin so Mm -hmm. definitely in tech it's it's very common for recruiters to sort of slide into your dm Mm -hmm. and definitely um, make sure that you have all the keywords or relevant experience on your linkedin just in case sometimes you never know what's going to happen. So in Quincus, you're a part of the AI research team. Can you talk a little bit about your experience then with artificial intelligence since it is such a hot topic right now? Our team was hired um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And before us, I would say artificial intelligence as a product in the company wasn't entirely there. So we were brought on to fully accelerate this process and bring the AI algorithm to market. I'm working alongside with the research scientists, but I'm not directly responsible for making the model faster, for example. And I work a lot on the other side, which is product analytics and functional testing. So when we have an algorithm, I'll be the one to generate data and to test whether the function the functionalities are working as they should mm-hmm. um, but i am really interested in artificial intelligence i only took maybe one or two courses when i was in school and so i really wanted to continue to learn that regard and that's why i started um, the artificial intelligence graduate program at stanford university okay to really be able to understand exactly what my colleagues are talking about and to yeah continuously learn and upskill myself in that area yeah i was gonna ask about that how you're taking this certificate at Stanford for artificial intelligence. I was wondering why you chose to pursue this certificate and how it would allow you to evolve a bit more in your career. Um, So do you feel like it's mainly to help enhance the work that you're doing right now? It is to enhance the work that I'm doing, but also to enhance my knowledge overall as well. Mm -hmm. They are actually graduate level courses, which I'm taking for credit. So it is good for now for understanding actually had a really good use case with my colleague the other day. I was really able to help them and be able to talk it out when they run into a problem. But also down the road, if I do decide to go back to school, do a master, I can easily transfer these credits because they are um, actually with GPA and grades. Okay. What kinds of things are you learning in these courses? Yeah, I would say... A little bit of everything so Mm -hmm. reinforcement learning deep learning and they have a list of courses you can choose from Mm -hmm. so you can really specialize in something if you're interested in so i'm really interested in deep learning and the application in um, autonomous driving autonomous vehicles Mm -hmm. and so i'm taking computer vision courses deep learning neural net um, a lot of a lot of classes in that area Mm -hmm. are you doing it all online Yes. Okay. They do have that option. So it is in person for graduate students. Okay. Um, but they do have, it's called a School of Continuous Professional Development. They stream all of their courses and all of their tutorials. Mm-hmm. So we're able to take it as well. And there is quite a big community as well mm-hmm. for people who are already working and taking it through this program. So I've met a lot of people who are working as software engineers in, at Google or other companies that nice. are with me in the wow. same course. Well, I also wanted to talk a little bit about how you've entered the content creation space as Maggie and Data. I would love to hear how you got started with that. I think that your main driving force is to help educate people about the data science field, but I would love to hear about your goals with Maggie and Data and just everything about it. Yeah, so I first started because I had such a hard time uh, breaking into the field. And once I did it, or I felt like I made it, I just couldn't resist that um, desire to share it with other people because I know so many people are in the same shoes. And as it turns out, there indeed was a market need for um, to lower that barrier of entry to data science. And um, I think that's how I was able to gain a lot of followers within a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So I was really trying to help people um, break into data science that was um, 
that was and continue to be my focus. So I, I share a lot of insights on uh, interview tips, um, specifically technical interview, coding questions, coding tutorials, but also just in general, because data science isn't for everyone. I know when Forbes published the article in 2011 that data science is the sexiest job in the 21st century. Is that what they said? Yeah. Okay. A lot of people, like all of a sudden data science is just hot thing. Yeah. But it's definitely not for everyone because it takes certain qualities. You have to con continuously learn. You can't fall into a comfort zone at all or you're just going to be fall falling behind. And also trying to get that message out to really show the real side of what it's like to work as a data scientist mm -hmm. in the field um, so people can make a fair decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was as I was kind of learning about what a data scientist does and as I was watching your videos, I was kind of relating it back to my experience in chemistry and as a researcher and how, yeah, you can never really just get comfortable and just follow protocols. You are the one to come up with the new tasks and the new protocols and how to do things and that requires a lot of trial and error and figuring things out. So I was wondering if that's what you mean by that and also kind of how you find support within your, whether it be your team or just in the industry in general, because that can be, you know, a really intimidating, daunting environment to be in. Yeah, trial and error for sure. So experimentation is a big part of what you do on the job. And yeah, so, so in terms of support, it is important to still continuously networking with other people. But I do find there is a lack of community of people trying to break in. And that's what I'm trying to create as well mm -hmm. on the side of my Discord channel for people to ask each other questions, to be study buddies. I was wondering with your audience, when you talk about helping people break into the data science industry, do you also find that you spend time trying to educate people kind of in the early stages of their career about just the fact that data science exists? Because just with my experience working with students, when you know you ask them what, you're, what they're interested in, I've never heard them say data science, probably because they don't know that it exists or they would just hear it and it sounds... I don't think it would sound sexy to them. <laughs> I think it would sound like scary. So do you feel like you try to also encourage people to get into it? And how do you do that, especially young women too? Yeah, um, so I try sometimes a lot. A portion of my videos are about like mini fun programs that you can do uh, using Python that can actually have a application in your life mm. right so my most watched video on instagram is actually a three-line python script it's like that can move your mouse every 30 seconds so your teams wouldn't go offline okay, okay. and so when people see that there are actually real life application mm. of learning how to code and learning to do the math um, they will be more interested in it. So that's definitely one of my objectives as well. That's so interesting because I'm always trying to get, especially young girls, like just interested in science in general. So yeah, that's a really good strategy. How do you feel as a woman in tech and a woman in da data science? Do you feel like there's certain challenges that you have to face on a day-to-day? -day? I do. I think I got really lucky that my team is actually very opens woman-led so yeah. we have a lot of women data scientists on the team but when i go to conferences when i go look beyond what's in my day-to-day -day environment i do find that there is still a lot more male than female in this space for mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. and I, I definitely think that's something that is changing right now and but still needs a lot of effort from all of us to help change that yeah i agree well i think that you're doing an amazing job with especially with your social media because the more representation that's out there and the more it just feels relatable in a sense like how you were saying like showing things that it's just applicable to your day-to-day -day life it doesn't seem as scary and then you feel like you can relate to it more the more representation the more people are going to be drawn to it too yeah so. and also being real i think one of the biggest thing that women experience more so than men is imposter syndrome yeah um the feeling that you don't you're not good enough maybe you don't know anything you don't know something uh, and being able to be i think vulnerable and through my channel where i can influence have where I can be in a position to influence a lot of people and sharing that is also um, something that I'm trying to do and trying to help people um, 
to be more confident and to break into the field. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great time to ask my last question, which is what are your hopes for your future career development and what do you hope to achieve? Yeah, I don't know if I would be doing this um, in the 10, 20 years in in the future. So there are usually two channels where you can move up in the data science space. There's Mm -hmm. the IC route and then there's the management route. So IC is individual contributors. So those are for people uh, who don't like managing other people, but they prefer to maybe manage projects instead, or they mm-hmm. prefer to dig deeper into the latest algorithms and things like that, and they would go the IC route. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm looking more at the management route where I would like to be more involved on the strategy level, product uh, prioritization, and that's why I'm trying to expose myself to sort of the higher level executives at my company right now to get influence and understand how they think and how they direct the company to where it goes. So I think that's where I want to be. I also want to continuously develop my Maggie and Data channels uh, and see where that takes me mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, I, I think in terms of actually coding every day, I don't see myself doing it anymore in the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And actually, my biggest dream maybe in 10 15 years is to be a speaker okay um so that's definitely completely different and i need to have that life experience first to be able to have something to speak about and to be credible right and so that's what i'm trying to build through a a variety of different life experiences wow well i think that you're doing an amazing job and i just feel like the opportunities are endless for you i feel like you've already shown that because you've worked in so many different environments brought in so many different skills you're doing so many different things and even with your certificate that you're doing right now just showing how you can evolve and feel like we also touched on some things which would be interesting to see if you ever embark on that path like you kind of talked about how being in a startup you kind of learn how to run your own startup and talking with your um, female co-founders too so I think that you're in such an interesting position and I can't wait to see where it takes you thank you (laughs) well thank you so much Maggie for coming on and talking with us this has been so informative and valuable and I appreciate your time so much it's my pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much to Maggie for coming on the mentorship podcast I loved hearing about Maggie's journey and I appreciate how open she was about some of her struggles. I also love learning about the field of data science because I really didn't know that much about it and I would have just assumed that it was about coding software and Maggie did such a great job at making it relatable and explaining its applicability. I also love learning how you can merge different interests like statistics and human geography because at first it seems like these fields are so disconnected, yet they actually complement each other so well. And that's really what this podcast is about, is highlighting diverse careers and giving an inside perspective on how to navigate this field. So I really appreciate Maggie coming on today to mentor us in that. She is also doing such amazing things on social media as Maggie and Data, where she provides mentorship and tips on pursuing a career in data science. Her socials will be linked in the episode description if you want to connect with her. Next week, we are back with a medical physicist. It is another really interesting career and an amazing conversation on the diverse opportunities in healthcare. So make sure to tune in. In the meantime, follow us on Projects on all social media platforms for updates and more mentorship resources. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.